So tonight we are closing our discussion on spiritual disciplines and we are closing with the discipline of service. Um, these are the places we have been. So we've been through simplicity, prayer, meditation, silence and solitude, confession, fasting and abstinence, study, submission and guidance. So hopefully we have gotten, I hope you guys have gotten a lot out of this and that we will continue to discuss these things. So a quick review of what uh, some of the things we've gone through. What is that idea of spiritual transformation? We've been trying to hit that the whole time because that's a difficult question and we've run into it numerous times. Um, so sometimes we sit here and say, I don't understand what it is. Here's my thinking. I've been saved by Christ. I want to be his disciple. I want to be more like him. Um, you know, I know this of this part. I mean, I should no longer be a slave to sin. And I resolve to fight against my sin, so I'll just try harder, right? I struggle against sin. Sin is in inevitable. Um, so good thing I'm saved and I'll just try harder. Okay, so that's sometimes our regular thinking. And we want to replace that. We want to replace that saying, yes, we have been saved by Christ. Yes, we want to be his disciple, but we want to partner with the Holy Spirit and ask him to transform us and, and move inside of us. Uh, we've talked about this idea, a lot of spiritual transformation, people call it uh, moralism. You know, I will be more moral to, to fix, you know, what's wrong with me. And that's not spiritual transformation. It's partnership with the Holy Spirit for him to work on us. And us, we, so we do take a role. These disciplines are active. We don't want to say that they're passive. But the real work seems to be done by God. And so we've looked at this, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, and this really helps us to see how these come together. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. And so John last week wanted to change salvation with sanctification. That this might even be a better idea of what it means. We're not, we don't think that this means, well, can you lose your salvation or can you gain it or some of those questions that come up. It's the idea of sanctification. This idea of God is working in us. And so we also did works in you. We changed that to gives you the continual uninterrupted power. These are possible interpretations or better uh, explanation of what that means. And so what we're looking for is God to work in us. So tonight, more specifically, is the discipline of service. So what is it? I help to define this just saying, it's the placing other needs ahead of you in concrete, concrete ways, ministering or helping others in a sacrificial way. Service is supposed to be the way Christians live. So this is going to be kind of our working definition. It's a little rough because it's, it can be so easily seen as something that you do one-time acts. Um, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. So some of the symptoms we've always, we want to highlight because something that Christians tend to do when they teach this, the disciplines is say, do all of them all the time. And then we do none of them. Okay? And so we always want to identify what are the symptoms that say, maybe this is one I need to enter into in a uh, more concerted effort. And so one, you rarely orient your schedule around someone else's. You constantly think about yourselves and your desires. You are so ambition that, ambitious that you do not have time to help others with their problems. And four, helping others with small things is a waste of time. There's obviously a continual theme of those, is a certain self-centeredness. And that's exactly what the discipline of service hopefully moves us away from. Uh, obviously, I think it's a part of sin, sinful nature that we are generally selfish. That's the way we've been raised. That's the way we just tend to live. And so service is something that puts other people's needs ahead of you and should reorient us. So some of the things we typically think of in service are things like feeding the poor, 
building homes for low-income people or going on missions trip to serve others, right? And so we think of these uh, one-time acts in a certain way, like, oh, okay, I'll go and serve someone right now. Okay, I'll take a Saturday, I'll go do this. And so I'm not saying, is, what we want to know is, is this really the discipline of service? Like, is that really what we're talking about? And my answer is yes and no, in the sense that, yes, those are acts of service. Those are good things. I'm not at all meaning to dissuade us from that. But it tends to go to a place where we kind of check it off. Okay, I, you know, I, I fed a homeless person. I, uh, you know, I did my, I did my one-week short-term mission trip this year. You know, check, check. That's not really, at least, what Foster describes as the discipline of service. Um, that it's a, that it's a more concerted effort. And there's a lot of inward. There's an inward aspect of this discipline. So what I want to do is, if you have your Bible, open up to John 13. Because this obviously is one of the most clear, the clearest examples um, of service and what Jesus modeled for us. The discipline of service is going to be, it's somewhat a difficult one in the sense that we want to do more than just choose certain occasions to serve people. It's, I, we think it's a deeper thing. So, John 13. Now before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into, a, into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Okay, so this passage has a lot of difficulties in it, uh, things that are extremely difficult that we won't go into tonight. But what we will look at is this idea, obviously, that Jesus puts on a, a towel and does an act that only a slave would do or a servant. But it's basically the servant's job to wash people's feet. And there was no one. He meets with his disciples. This is nearing the end of his ministry, obviously. This is put at... Um, John puts this at the, at the Lord's Supper after he does this and then he institutes the Lord's Supper. Um, so the, one of the last things he does for his disciples is he takes the role of an absolute servant. And we see in Peter's response that this was, you know, he objects. He's, why are you doing this? This doesn't, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and in this, some of the things that Foster tells us about the discipline of servant is more than just the, a one-time act. It says, but in service, we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. 
This would have been a very ordinary, mundane type of thing that should have been done. Not by Jesus, but by someone. Right? I mean, this was a simple act that every servant was expected to do if you were to have, you know, some type of formal meal where people come over to your house, right? So it's a very mundane and ordinary act, except that <laughs> the people with authority and power never do this. The, the master, the teacher, would never do something like this. Foster also says, we must clearly understand the radical nature of Jesus' teaching on this matter. He was not just reversing the pecking order, as many suppose. He was abolishing it. Right? And some of the other conversations that the disciples had previously had that are found in some of the other Gospels, I think in John as well, um, where you'll see disciples asking, wait, which one of us are the greatest? Like, which one of us needs to, has the best? Which one is going to be the people who, you know, when Jesus is done, or who he's going to call upon, right? Who here out of us 12 is the best? And Jesus strikes at those sort of things. And this is one of the events that really hammers that home. To say the greatest is the servant. And we'll look at uh, a scripture in Matthew as well to explain that. Um, and then third, therefore the spiritual authority of Jesus is an authority not found in a position or a title, but found in a towel. Right? And this obviously goes very much against everything that our society is built upon. You know, I mean, I'm someone who wants to go after this and get another degree for, you know, a title that gives you, a PhD that gives you the title of doctor, right? And people look up to people who are doctors and say, you have an authoritative voice. And there's obviously good reason to say that because they've studied longer and, and worked very hard. I don't want to negate those sort of things. But there's a certain sense that if you have such and such position or title in, in the world here, it's, that makes you better, that makes you smarter, that makes you more valuable than people who don't have that, right? And that's absolutely against what Jesus is teaching here. That real spiritual authority, that real uh, strength and greatness in life are those who serve. Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all, as it says in Mark 9.35. Okay? And so that idea is basically the discipline of service. What does it mean to be a servant? Not just to simply serve sometimes here and there or to do certain acts. Are, are, is that distinction being made clear? Or is that still confusing? Yeah. I think the distinction is being made clear, but I don't know if I see that in the example. Because, I mean, it seems like this is a one-time thing. Um, I think it's, I mean, that's definitely a good point. I think in this case, what he's trying to do is, he is setting an example. I, I would agree with you that this seems to be a special pointed uh, you know, he's a specifically, he's using this to teach them something, without a doubt. And, and he even makes that clear, like in verse 13 through 15. You know, you call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That command there, at least I think, it seems to be pointed at, this is supposed to be a way of life. So yes, in this sense, Jesus does choose to use an ex a specific action to then say, this is supposed to be how you do it all the time. Like, this is supposed to be your way of life. And I think even throughout his ministry, he seems to serve people throughout his ministry continually. So I wouldn't even, this is definitely an isolated event, but I would say his life seems to have continual uh, opportunity where he serves others. One thing we're going to see as a distinction between, well, uh, you know, I'm an actual servant or I'm just someone who every once in a while I, I do, you know, I check off the list, is a spontaneity in our service that, Things just arise, and we really see that in Jesus' ministry, right? I mean, one thing that almost every biblical scholar looks at in the New Testament, there is no one who comes up to Jesus for a miracle, like asking for mercy, asking for something to be done. 
he never turns them away. It's never, ooh, I, you know, we're on our way to uh, you know, Galilee. I don't have time for this. Right? How often in our lives are we like, ah, I, <laughs> I, I got a meeting in a half an hour. Like, I can't talk to you. I can't stop my schedule for you. We don't see that in Jesus' ministry. He operates on totally different principles. And yes, maybe you can argue, well, he was homeless and, and his whole ministry was doing this. I understand those objections. But there's a certain way of life that he institutes that says, I have time for people. I will set aside time. And, and there are times when he does move on. He said, you know, there's hundreds more where it's like, we got to go to the next place. I mean, I understand that as well. But as a whole, there's no single individual who comes up to him asking for mercy that he turns away and says, nope, I don't have time for you. Another idea that can be difficult for us is what is the difference, you know, what is self-righteous service, what is true service? Again, we're trying to get to what does it mean to have a discipline of service, not just, well, you know, here and there I, I check it off. And, and so here are a couple other quotes from Foster. So self-righteous service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. True service rests contented in hiddenness. And another one, true service is a lifestyle. It acts from ingrained patterns of living. It springs spontaneously to meet human need. One on the first quote about true service rests contented in hiddenness. Um, I had one amazing example that was set in my life. Um, was two summers ago when I was in the Dominican Republic with Children of the Nations. We had... We had our leadership team, so it was me and another girl who, who was my partner. And then we had two people who were kind of our overseers. And one of them, his name was Pete, and he was 50, maybe 51 years old, something like that. And he was a high school teacher. And every day, so every day we would go out and do our ministry in the morning. We'd come back at lunch, and we'd be served lunch by, uh, at, the, at the mission house. And they had people who cooked and, and served us. But Pete, every single day would go and he would help serve lunch, like he would uh, pour the drinks and, and pass out things. And so he did this every single day without missing one meal. And at times, if people didn't portion their food correctly, uh, some people would not eat <laughs> at the end. And so there were days when Pete didn't eat. And of course, this is all goes you know, kind of unsaid or unnoticed because most people grab their food, sit down and eat. They don't, you know, they're not worried if anyone else got their food. Um, so at the very end of the summer, uh, on our outgoing, we had an outgoing debrief before we left the country. Pete, every, he took every person aside to, to give them kind of like an evaluation, affirmation, different things like that for just general reflections on the summer. And one of the things he told me, he finally tied together, he said, you know, Doug, who is his boss, gave me the role of teaching you what it means to be a servant. And every day, and he finally pointed out, up until then, he had never said anything that he did this. He said, every day, if you didn't notice, every day I served, I helped to serve lunch. And I did it quietly, and I just did it. If food wasn't there, it didn't go. And for him to sit me down and you know, say that, and like, I hope that you saw a model of what it means to serve people in a very mundane, ordinary way. And he did. And it was still something, like I said, I mean, it's two years now. I still think about that, and I still look at some of the sacrifices made. I mean, I don't know how many times the last time you've been out, you know, whether you're doing work or whatever it is, for three or four straight hours, come back totally famished, and then have everyone eat food before you, and you not eat. I, I mean, I sat there thinking about that and going, wow, like he really put some sacrifices behind. And it was because he chose to pick up drinks and pour them for every single person before him and finally eat last. Um, and it was a very powerful example for me. Yeah. Because that still seems to me like just service as acts on a regular basis. 
Like that he set up something that he could do regularly and they were still individual acts. And like not demeaning the value at all, like it's still amazing and something you should be doing. But I mean like how do you make that distinction of like is it just saying a life of service is someone who does lots of acts of service? Uh, in a sense, I think it comes from where does it flow from? You know, I mean, again, we're talking about that spiritual transformation. There is an intentional effort to look for opportunities to serve others. I do think that that is a factor in there. But at least the way I perceived it, I do think that regularity is part of what it means to be a servant. So yes, it has to come from acts. Like to say, I'm serving people, but you don't do anything, or there's a, like, that doesn't make sense either, right? And so it is, I know it's, it can be difficult to say the difference, um, but I want to go keep pushing forward and we'll come back to it if it doesn't get any clear. So here's another response from a skeptic, is, or, or just the idea of like, wait a minute, like, if I truly become a servant, won't I get walked all over? Right, if you really, I mean, if we looked at our symptoms, right, uh, if I really tried to orient my schedule around other people's every day, wouldn't I just get walked over? Wouldn't I get nothing done? Wouldn't I totally fall by the wayside, right? Wouldn't all my ambitions get pushed over? And so here's what Foster has to say to them, is there is a sense that you could, <laughs> absolutely. Like that, that response is very natural. And, but what his thing is, there's a difference between voluntarily choosing it and being forced into it, right? And so he says, if we voluntarily choose to be taken advantage of, then we cannot be manipulated. When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when we will serve. We become available and vulnerable. I think this statement has a lot because I know in usually most of my acts of service, I will choose this person and not this one. I will choose this occasion and not this one, right? Instead of a whole way of life where I am open, vulnerable, available for all people. And some days, or there might be, obviously there are people in your circles that you will probably serve more frequently than others, right? Just because they're around more often. Um, but this idea of, I will try to be as available and vulnerable as I can be. I will open up my schedule to look to serve others instead of myself. Paul says, of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Paul calls himself a servant of the gospel. And that statement really is extremely powerful. And I think he has the authority to say that with what he did with his life, right? I mean, I know when I look at discipleship, my growth in the faith is, I don't know if I'd be able to say, yeah, I'm a servant of God's gospel. Like, I am fully available to whatever God wants me to do day in and day out. And I go and carry out his work. And that's what defines my life, right? I mean, that, for Paul is what defined his life. I have a question on it, I'm not sure where, where this leads, but like, are there people that potentially like don't need to be served? Like, not like always throughout their whole life, you know, but like, if you're gonna find someone who's like, let's say really well off financially, like has a good system of friends and like enjoys their life and really doesn't need very much, like, would you say, well, yeah, that person doesn't need to be served at all? I think one, we should, when we see needs, obviously meet them. Those are, of course, good opportunities to serve someone because there is a need, right? But I think it, it can tie into one is just we should serve others because they're valuable, because this is a way of life that, that is supposed to be. And so 
the reason I put the typical ways like mission trips or, or this or you know I'll set aside this Saturday or whatnot I and mean, we've even flirted with the idea of at some point uh, you know building building home in Mexico or something like that or or jumping on with Habitat for Humanity and building home for someone you know as a group I think those are good things like those are good acts of service but doing that does not mean you are, are being a servant to all right I mean I think that that's a huge difference to say oh yeah I mean I serve there I mean, this, should, this type of teaching should fundamentally alter how we relate to our parents, to our siblings, to the people in this room, to uh, everyone we come into contact with. There should be this spontaneity, this openness and availability to reorient. Yeah. Well, I think part of it also is like how you define serving. Because like, if it's meeting some need, well, then maybe in a sense Jesus did serve the Pharisee needed like because of whatever it was, wrong theology, or they needed to be set straight and he did that and also he didn't ignore any of them when they had came to him for questions or anything. So maybe in that sense he is serving. Right, absolutely, I would agree. Um, so here are some things that we might not initially think of and we can talk about these. The service of guarding other people's reputation. This is a big one. I've noticed it even when John had us look at confession and to sit there and uh, enter into that discipline. Like I, I looked at those different groups and one of the things I found in my life is this uh, ability to talk too much which leads to gossip and slander, right? And I think we can all identify in, in our lives to some level or another. But that's, that's what this service, this discipline could do is as soon as people talk badly of others, we should be ones to guard other people's personalities because that is slander, right? I mean that is a service to someone else. The service of common courtesy. Again, I think most people in this room are rather courteous to people, but this is one that can get looked over. This is a small way that we are supposed to relate with others. There are definitely times where you have just the way you operate at work, the way you treat coworkers and different things, uh, courtesy. Like this should be, a, it is a common service. The service of hospitality. Um, we should be available and open to open up our house to visitors, to strangers, to people who need a lodging, yeah. Uh, the hospitality thing, um, but what if you open your house to the wrong person? A lot of the times, or bandits, or like terrorist groups, you know? I know it just, it just kind of discourages me sometimes. Well, it doesn't go to say that there's no discretion or discernment involved in that. But I also think, here, here's one that came up for us, such a random story in my life, is in college. Me and my roommates were out. Uh, we went to church, went to In-N-Out afterwards. And so by In-N-Out, there, there were some homeless people that just generally hung out there. Um, and so when we were eating, another friend of ours you know, started talking with, with, with a guy who was homeless. And he was about our age, uh, or teens or, or even early 20s. And so she got to talking with him and like, hey, you guys need to, you know, you need to meet Morgan and, and Justin and a couple of my other roommates. And so we all end up getting to talking. We find out like, you know, what is this guy doing homeless? I mean, it was, it was pretty gnarly to think of. And so we just sat there and we're like, hey, what do we think about giving him a place to stay for a while? Like, like why not? I mean, hopefully he can grab some work and, and do some things, but like, why not do this? And we all just sat there and said, okay. And so we invited him to stay at our place because we were on campus. And so, of course, was, we shouldn't have been able to do that because he really shouldn't have been able to stay there. But he ended up staying with us for two weeks. And um, he was a Christian. And it got weird. Like, there were plenty of things that came up. Because, uh, I mean, we did assume, like, hey, we're going to get you off a little bit. We'll take you surfing. Different things to, like, yeah, uh, this really sucks that you, you don't even have the ability to, ha you know, be able to do some things that 
you should at your age. Like, we don't know where your parents are. We don't know all these things. It doesn't matter right now. But things did get weird. There were, I mean, there were weird relationship issues. There were, you know, hey, we thought you were going to be getting, trying to get some date, because he did day jobs and stuff like that. But he kind of stopped while he was with us. You know, all the hindrances that we have. And we had some major conversations with him through that. I still remember one very difficult conversation. They're sitting there like, what are you doing? Like, what, what's going on here? You know, we were trying to help you out here, and like, what's going on? And I'll tell you, after those two weeks, we sat there and we're like, this was weird. But I do not regret doing any of this. You know, like having him be a part of our Bible study uh, for those couple weeks, having him uh, come around. And I think that we should be more available to do that. Like, I honestly do not regret it. And I would house him again. Like, even knowing everything that, that went on, I think hospitality should be a way of Christianity. You know, especially, I'm not saying every homeless person on the side of the street, you should open up your house. But I am saying that you should, if, if you felt like God were calling you to do that, you should. And we should be more open to it. Like, our usual thing is, you said, hey, everyone, there's always problems, right? There's everyone we could be doing that. But do we ever do it? Have you ever opened up your house to anyone? Not just to homeless people. I mean, there are all kinds of uh, missionaries that come over. And, you know, when the missionary stays at a church, are, are you a house that would be, hey, we'll open up for four days for him? You know, I mean, that type of, it, it, it's a wide range to say hospitality, but I think it should be something we're more open to. What if we got something stolen from? Would we do it again? Maybe. You know, like, hopefully I'd be willing to still open up our house. Who cares, ultimately? Like, the guy takes my TV. Okay, we lost the TV, and I'm not supporting the, those efforts. But I think Jesus calls us to do things that, that may get us hurt in the process or may, you know, we have to trust him to say, this guy in the middle of the night could take everything I have, but I think you called me to, to open up our house, you know? I mean, it's just something to, to think about and... Throughout the centuries, I mean, hospitality is supposed to be, this is one thing, if you go back to early Christianity, Christians were called nuts when the plagues and things were, were occurring because Christians were the only ones to go out and house people and, and take care of the sick. The pagans all ran because they, you know, they, didn't, they were going to die from the plague, and the Christians were the only ones willing to, to do something. And it was a huge, one of many reasons why the early church grew. You know, and, and logical wisdom tells you that's nuts. And Christians did die. They did catch the plague and die. And they still felt this was a worthy thing to do. So um, the service of listening is another. Uh, we talked about this at other times. Listening is something that's difficult. Listening is active, we believe. And it is something that we don't do very well. Um, and it's worth uh, hearing people out and, and giving them the time of day. The service of bearing one another's burdens, same sort of thing. And then this is six, the, ser the service of sharing God's word. So I think that does connect to what something that Jesus did to the Pharisees, as, as hard as it is, to say this is actually the way God is. You guys are missing it. And most of the times when he rebukes the Pharisees, you know, it's in a sense to, to, that he hopes for repentance. I mean, there, are, there, there were uh, officials who did repent and Pharisees who did change. And so we don't even think of that. Like, and the way I even see that is, is that idea of affirmation. How often do we intentionally uh, speak words of affirmation into our own community? Um, it's something that's lacking because a lot of time we just don't think about it. We don't say, hey, like, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. Like, I see this in your life, and that's so wonderful. Like, keep it up. That's a powerful way to serve one another in this community. All these things are, are things that could come in very normally uh, and that we should be available for. How many times, you know, does a friend or someone who needs you to hear out a problem bear a burden, and it takes two or three hours, you know, I mean, and it really could totally 
change what you had to do today. Um, I know right now with how much studying I do, I'm so like, okay, I'll give you this block of time. And if somebody called me outside of that, I don't know if I'd be willing to, let me, let me reschedule, reschedule you. And no, I think I should be open to serving them and saying, it doesn't matter what I was going to do. Like this person chose to call me for whatever reason, and I need to serve them by listening and caring for them and you know, maybe speaking God's word in their life, whatever the, the problem entails. But that's how we, I think we, we should be looking at service. Not just in the, hey, let's, let's check off certain things. And personally, I do put higher value in doing, let, let's say you are feeding the poor or building homes that I think the regularity is something that becomes more of a way of life. I mean, I know that even our group, we do that monthly homeless outreach. And the reason it's monthly and the reason we commit for a year is that we don't want to just, hey, in December we did this and it was really cool and everyone grew lots and it was awesome. Like, who knows if we'll ever do it again. Like, there's a reason we committed to, even though it's only once a month, that this is a regular routine. Like, this is who we are. This is what we want to do, is to set aside time. But to think, you know, when I, when I think of doing that, when I do that on Saturdays, like, I do it one Saturday of the month to say, like, I am a servant of the poor. I don't know, man. I go once a month, you know, and, and so that's where many of these things really tie into, wait, like, I want my life to be about service. Um, on our spectrum of the disciplines, I think this one's going to come up more frequently than something like fasting, right? I mean, that's going to come up here and there, but something like this should be a daily way of life. So in practice, identify small, regular ways that you can serve those uh, that you commonly spend time with. Household chores, listening well to others, speaking affirmation. I think it just starts with one, I mean, this deals with our prayer and meditation, and just honestly saying, God, like, open up my eyes to people that I could serve today. Um, I want to honestly be available to you with my time and to others with my time. Um, and then consider some regular act of service that is repeated as opposed to a one and done act of service. So those are th some things to think about and really look at this week to say, wait, like how often do I serve others? How often am I fully available? How willing am I to, to orient my schedule around someone else? Um, so as we close um, and as we look at these different disciplines we've done, one thing that both John and I don't want to see happen, and, and I don't think you do either, is to have this be a nice six-week, eight-week series um, and be done with it and, and not have these things come up. We hope that there are further conversations. We hope that we can ask, hey, you know, what, what is the discipline that you're practicing in this stage of life? Like, what's, what's going on with that? What are you entering into? What, what are you finding difficult in that discipline? We hope that this is a conversation that continues for the rest of our time together, however long Exodus is a ministry, because these, we've said, spiritual formation does not end ever. Um, and so these disciplines are something we should be coming back to again and again, and different ones at different stages of our lives. So we really hope you guys have gotten things out of this, and we hope that they will continue. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll do a little bit more worship. God, uh, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who was willing to put on a towel and, and showed us a specific event um, to give a lasting ordinance. God, people throughout the centuries have, <laughs> even now, continue to wash others' feet, uh, that they take this very literally. God, I pray that you would teach us to serve in small, mundane ways. God, that we would truly um, look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others, as Paul says in Philippians. So we thank you. We thank you for this series, God. We do pray that you would continue to move in us, God, that your spirit would fill us, that we would learn um, about meditation and prayer, 
and fasting, God, and that we would learn by participating in those activities. God, that we would be on the front lines and, and obey you with these things. So we give you praise, Lord, in your name. Amen.